If you would open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, if you're using the blue pew Bibles, you'll find that book starts on page 976. We're finishing a five-week series this morning on the gospel and the church, which I have, I hope you have found rewarding and helpful. It's been rewarding for me to prepare and think about what God's word as a whole says about these things and about our life together. I have found, uh, even as we're not regularly in the habit of doing topical sermons like this, I have found this to be particularly challenging. Uh, It's not a muscle that I often flex. And so week to week, uh, it's been a new area where I've needed to rest and rely on the Lord. And when I came to the subject of today's sermon, our last sermon, which I had planned to kind of be... uh, A way to tie it all together and thinking about God's purpose for us as a church in the gospel. I found preparing a sermon on this topic to be especially daunting. And so I think uh, because of that, this week was hard to write a sermon. And I think God, if I'm accurately understanding his purpose in that challenge, I think he intended me to focus this last sermon on what he has said to us in his word. So in light of that, I think this sermon is going to be very textual, very Bible heavy, which is never a bad thing. And in it, I hope to have, I hope that we together collectively Hear God speaking to us about his purposes for us. His purposes for us as a church that have so much to do with the gospel that we have been rehearsing and rejoicing in all morning. So I pray God uses this, his word. We trust it to be his powerful word that when opened and considered and read and his spirit attends to, produces in us change and fruit all to his glory We can trust him to do the same even this morning. What is God intending to do in us, his church? I think the answer is two things that I want us to see in his word this morning. The first is God intends us to give us life with him through the gospel. God intends to give us life with him through the gospel. And when I say life with him, I mean life with him, a personal life, a life united to him, father, son, and spirit, a life characterized by oneness with God, unity with him. God intends to give us a unified life with him through the gospel. And that says something, secondly, about what he intends to do through us. This will be the second thing we consider with this gospel that gives us life, we invite others to have life with God too. With this gospel, we invite others to have life with God too. I want us to start at the end. So keep your finger in Ephesians because we'll be there for a few minutes, in a few minutes. But, but keep your finger there and first let's start at the end. So that we know where God is heading in his story. Revelation 21, page 1041. Where is God going with us as people? 
What are his ultimate purposes for us? Listen to this description of the eternal life we will enjoy with God. Revelation 21, verse 1. John sees a vision of the future and he writes down what he sees. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral. Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Which is the second death. That's a picture of our future. A place where God lives and we live with him. And live forever. Or a picture of our future where we don't live with God. Separated from him because of our sin. Eternally suffering death. If you know the story of the Bible. You know that the beginning seemed a lot like the end. So if you were to rehearse and we were to repeat the story of Genesis 1, we understand that God creates and he sets up life with Adam and Eve and he gives them his image and he gives them a world to enjoy. And Adam and Eve live in some period of time with, with God in that way, in that relationship. And then one day they decide to turn on God, to Ignore his word to try out life outside of God's life. And this introduces death. A curse that brings a kind of war to the world. War between you and your spouse or war between us as human beings. The kind of war that led the first brothers, Cain, to kill his other brother Abel. That kind of enmity and hostility where there was before peace with God. And it brought a war between us and God. A war where sin constantly is trying to put us above God and his ways. Refuting his good place in our life, we try to become our own Lord. That kind of war. So how did God get us from broken war and hostility against him to a future he tells us about where we live with him where sin does not exist? And war 
that we caused has been ended between us and him and between each other. Well, that's why we want to look at Ephesians. Ephesians tells us the eternal purpose of God to work through Jesus Christ to make us one with him. That's what God was going to do from before he made Adam and Eve. And that's where God is taking us to want to life at one with him together. So open to Ephesians page 976. And we are going to rehearse the gospel plan that God has for us to make us one with him through the grace of Jesus Christ. Notice, Christian, first and foremost, that God bringing you into life with him, even though you were a sinner, was always his plan. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose. Which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan. For his people. Unity. Through forgiveness of sins. What a gift. An inheritance, Paul says. Look at verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ. Might be the praise of his glory. In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. What should the announcement of God's purposes that he was working eternally for our good to make us one with him do in our hearts? What effect should that have? Well, it leads us to praise, thankfulness, hope, and greater faith. Look at verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering in your prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power 
toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all church Christ by his power is working in us to make us one with him and one with God. That is the trajectory that we are on. He has called us to a certain hope, not one that's going to be questioned, not one that can be taken away, not one that can be thwarted by our own weaknesses and our failings and our sins and our stumblings, one that is rested completely on the finished work of Jesus Christ, which God the Father planned in love to do and accomplish for us before he created the world. This is the gospel upon which we hope and stand. So how would God, having planned all that, bring us into life with him since we in Adam and Eve have all sinned? What about the barrier of our own sin nature? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 acknowledges our death outside of Christ and tells us what it is so that we might look to the one who gives life. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I wonder if God in his kindness is convicting your heart that that describes you. I wonder if you're honest this morning, you would have to say you're the dead one. Dead and locked in death, a kind of slavery you can't unlock. Listen to God speaking to you. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, and there are many in this room that can testify that we too were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our church is grounded and founded on the truth that we were not alive. And in his grace, he made us alive. And that is our only boast. That is our only claim. It is our only power. It is our only trust. God in his kindness raised us up from death and has given us not a life walking in slavery and confusion and darkness weighed down by despair and death, but now a life lived as if we're already in heaven, as if it's already done. One with God, one 
because of his grace. Friend, if you are dead in your sin, receive the grace that Jesus gives. Receive it and know the life he provides. Why would God do this? Why would he be so lavish in his grace when we were so rebellious in sin? Well, because he had a plan. He had a plan and a purpose in his love to invite us to participate in the love that he shares in himself. Father, Son, and Spirit. Before time began, he enjoyed that love. He needed no other love to make him whole and complete. But he decided in his kindness to extend that love to people he created. And so he gave Jesus to come and die for us, made like us, so we could be made in him to be participators with God. Listen to that plan unfold through the gospel. Verse 11, chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, the war ends, who has made us both one united with God and has broken down in his flesh to the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. When we were far off from God and at war with him, God decided in grace and love and mercy to send Christ to end the war. To take the hostility we should have experienced from the law of God falling on us, Jesus stood under that himself. So as to end the war between us and God, Jesus shed his blood. To put an end to our hostility with each other and make it possible for us to live one with God and each other, Jesus gave his body to be broken on a cross. The gospel is the means that God uses To bring us into life with him. One with him and one with each other. If we're to have life. At least as God conceives it. At least as God has planned it for us. As God has provided it for us. If we're to have that life. It comes through Christ's work on the cross. No other means. We can decide to live unified. On our own in our own strength. Friends it won't work. We will fall apart. We will fight. We will not forgive. We will hold grudges. We will end our relationships in bitterness, in pride, in preference, in politics. Only the supernatural, life-giving work of Jesus Christ 
to give himself to make us new, one new person. That is our only, only hope for living in God's unity. And he gives it freely. He gives us such a wonderful picture of what our life can be together. It could be as if we're a house built on top of each other, as if we rely on each other brick by brick to become what God wants us to be. He gives us the provision of his own spirit to mold us and shape us together as one person, not as individuals, all of us just kind of like glued together, but as one united in him. I want to see that more and more. You want to see that more and more and more be the shape and the character and the quality of our life together as a church. Where we consider each other even more than brothers and sisters. But as unified in Christ, one together. This unity is what God has been aimed at for all The time he had planned to create his people, the church. Paul underscores this. He he sort of makes that as like the the highlighter underneath this whole gospel presentation in chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this. You can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Up until Paul, up until Jesus came and the spirit gave Paul this revelation, there was not any person who could put together the eternal plan of God. There's no one who could say definitively, I know what God has been doing. I know where this future is headed. And now we know. Now we know that God has a special purpose for his church. Now we know what we're doing here. Now we know why why God would send Jesus To work in us salvation that we didn't deserve to make us one with him. Now we know how how God is intending to showcase his grace and his love and his mercy. To bring sinners into oneness with him through the gospel. Now we know that God is intending to bring great glory to himself. To work out such a plan that would start with creatures. And end up with us living in eternal love and peace with God forever. Now we know. Now we know why Christ came. Now we know how that involves you, Christian. 
Now we know how it brings us into a glorious life and future church. All of it to showcase how wise and good and loving he is. So what does this revelation then do for us? What does it do to us? Well, look at how Paul responds. Paul, it's, it's as if he's rehearsing the gospel message to this church as I'm rehearsing to you his words here. And he, he has to take a break and praise God and, and ask on behalf of these people that they would know more of this. That they be able to go deeper into understanding this. Appreciating, being thankful for what Christ has done. For what, what new vistas, what new eternity opens up for them because of the love of Christ. So he prays. For this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. When you woke up this morning were you thinking that it was possible. Was it fresh on your mind and your heart. That you could live in union with the everlasting living almighty God. If you know yourself like I know myself, if you rehearse this morning coming in here, our weak faith, our fickle obedience, our hearts weighed down with care, cares and anxieties. If you're like me, that was the furthest reality from your mind. And yet here we have Paul reminding us God's plan operating in you by his spirit with his love is intending to make you full of him. He's operating on that in you, in your life, in this way right now. And the fingerprints and the hallmarks of his love are all over your life. If you're struggling to see how the gospel is good news for you, Christian. If you've grown tired of rehearsing it clinging to it if doubts have crept in if you feel yourself overwhelmed and you can't see it or you can't feel it spend time spend time rehearsing the love of Christ for you the love of Christ for you the deep love of Christ that would give himself for you Sparing nothing. He came to the cross for your salvation. The Spirit will help you in this. Notice that the trajectory of our life as Christians is never up and out away from the gospel. It's in. Further deeper. Further in. 
digging into these deep minds of the unfathomable love of Christ for us. That is our trajectory as a church. We don't need to become something else. We don't need to become great in the eyes of the world. We don't need to build ministry platforms that other people see and praise us for. We need to go further into Christ. Further in and from the love we get to know from him. He will use us to spread his love to each other and to the world. In my mind, that's more than we can possibly imagine. But he has promised to do it. So then with all this that God has done and planned and purposed and and made possible through Christ. What impact and effect does it have on our life together? Look at chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. Unity is the great prize that God wins in his church through the working of Jesus Christ. He makes us one. So Paul, thinking on that, encourages the Ephesian Christians and us to give special attention to how we can be one with each other. Notice what it requires. It requires that we ourselves don't make ourselves one. Humility. Notice it requires a kind of way with each other that isn't striving for position or status or to be served. It's gentle. It's patient. It's bearing with each other. Notice that it's a recognition that this unity is not something that we create by our own good work, but it's actually a gift. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What I'm not encouraging us in by pointing us to this is a kind of unanimity where everybody's sort of differences and diversity is flattened out. Where you can't have an opinion. Or where you can't speak a, diff- a different mind. But instead it's a kind of life in which we interact with each other with an understanding that you and I are together made as part of the one body. And in the same way that we wouldn't go to war against ourselves. We're not going to go to war against each other. Or it's the kind of awareness that as we look at each other, even when we're in tension or in argument, we look at each other and understand this is the life resurrected by Christ, 
set with an inheritance sealed for heaven's joys. This is a person whose life I will enjoy together with them in heaven one day. It's the kind of posture that understands though our temporary differences may seem acute, our eternal joy and unity together will never end. And is able to put those two things in the right perspective. This is what Christ has died to give us, church, a oneness together, one body and one spirit. So it's no mystery then why in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us that the great priority of our life together should be love for each other. This is the kind of language of our unity. It's love. Paul tells us that it would be worthless for us to have these great spiritual gifts. It would be worthless for us to be able to showcase these special abilities that we own or talents or things that we have as individuals in this church. It would be worthless if those things were void of love. And his argument revolves around the fact that love never ends. But all those other things do. The language of our unity is love for one another. The kind of love that is patient and kind. That does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love Abide These three, but the greatest of these is love. And I think what he means to say is love will be the experience of your life today and forever. Prioritize that. God has given us life with him through the gospel. A life that we can enjoy not only with him through Christ, but a life we can enjoy together loving and preferring one another as Christ has loved us. This is the basis of the unity of our church. But this is not the only purpose that God has for us. To get us to Revelations 21. And united life with him. He also has a purpose for us. To bring other people. Who don't yet know that future. Into that life with him. Second thing. Second thing we see. In terms of our mission as a church. What are God's purposes for us? First to bring us into united life with him through the gospel. But now with the gospel. We invite others to have life with God too. That is our mission. That is our mission. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm sorry. First start with John 17. John 17. John 17, we got to study a few months ago, page 903. And we got to hear Jesus' last words on earth, praying to his father for what he was asking the father to do. I want you to hear Jesus speaking out his desire and intention that you and I 
would be inviting people into life with God as part of the reason he leaves us on earth. John 17, starting in verse 20. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you that have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see that Jesus is looking beyond his disciples to the disciples that will share the gospel with others who will be made disciples. To those who will then go to others and bring that and on and on and on and on. Jesus has this sort of cascading intention for bringing his love to his first disciples that it will continue to spill over in deed and proclamation so that more people would receive this invitation to come in and be one with God. That's our mission. To take that message. To proclaim that invitation that Jesus has given us. And that message is given to us in specificity, helpfully, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Page 966. The Apostle Paul urges us and encourages us to start walking through our lives if we aren't already. Looking at people either as the old or as the new. And those who are old, coming to them with a message that tells them how they can be made new. A war-ending message. A message for peace with God. A message of reconciliation. Listen to that. Chapter 5, verse 16 of 2 Corinthians. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh... Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Church, if we have one thing to do, If we have one mission given to us from our Savior, it is to go and invite people to have life with God through Jesus Christ.
There are lots of ways that we can consider doing this together as a church. There are lots of ways we can envision this and explore this together. But 2 Corinthians 5 and Matthew chapter 28 where Jesus gives his great commission. And Jesus' prayer in John 17. All tell us that if we lose this. We have lost sight of the purpose for which Christ died to make us one. This is a wonderful mission and privilege that God has given to his people, the church. It is the specific mission that he has given only to his church. It is the mission that we are on together as we live in love for one another, knowing that that testifies to the supernatural work of Christ in us. It is also a mission that we pray for and strengthen and help each other in individually as we go to our separate families, friends, co-workers, neighbors. It encompasses and should encompass all that we prioritize and protect, whether it be our witness through baptism in the Lord's Supper or the proclamation of our confession and being faithful to it. The way that we seek to utilize and use our authority to show Christ. The way that we seek to give our efforts to disciple each other, to love Christ and love each other. All of that revolves around the gospel mission that Jesus has given us. This will be worthless if we're not united together in love. For what good is a gospel that declares reconciliation when the very people who proclaim it are not reconciled? But oh, how powerful it will be. How powerful it will be if we welcome God's grace to humble us, to prefer each other, to go in love to others and speak to them what may be uncomfortable, but what they need to hear for life. This is the unity that Jesus has died to give us. This is the purpose of God to unite us to himself through the gospel. And this is the mission that Jesus gives us to go and invite others to have life with God too. As we conclude this five-week series on the church, I hope that in various ways that all complement each other, we have a better appreciation for how God has designed the gospel to orient and organize and focus our life as a church. I trust we're going to learn more about that in weeks to come in our life together. But I wanted to end here because I, want, I did not want to get disordered or lost or distracted from the gospel itself. What Jesus has done. All of our life flows from him. All of our help comes from him. All of our purposes derived from him. And so let me encourage us as a church as we move forward. To keep our eyes focused on him. To love him. And to love each other. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for the effective working of your word through your spirit in our hearts because you, God, are able to save, to restore, to guide and unite. God, we pray that the gospel would be the foundation of our life together. We pray that you would teach us to love you and love each other as you have loved us. We pray that in, 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 in our hearts, in some way, that your word that was read and proclaimed this morning would have its own specific destiny in each of us for some purpose that you have ordained and prescribed. We pray that your spirit would, would move in our hearts to speak to us and change us and lead us. But I don't know what that is. But you do. 
And Lord, we pray that our church's hearts, our church's heart would soar again in joy and thankfulness that you have brought us life with you in Jesus. We pray we would not lose sight of that. We pray that that would bolster us and give us ballast this week. We pray that it would secure us when we are doubtful. Pray that it would alleviate our anxious concerns to know that we have a future with you, an inheritance that is kept. Lord, in whatever way you want your word to work, please work. Whatever way we would resist it, help us to not. And Lord, in every way, make the wisdom that you possess to make this all happen. We pray that would be displayed. You would do that both through our verbal witness and also through the witness of love that you promote in this church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.